0: you for tuning in to the Kiske Current, the voice of the Kiske Valley. I'm your host, Jeff Held. Our podcast begins now. Hi, everyone. This is Jeff Held, your host of the Kiske Current podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in and being part of the 300-so listeners that we've logged into our CastBox server since January 1st. It's hard to believe that we have winter in the rearview mirror, and we're now into spring. This past weekend was pretty nice weather for the opening day of Trout, and we have some uh, expected bad weather coming with some rain. That's all part of being April and spring, but overall, I think that we're out of our weather funk here in the Kiske Valley. This episode, I'm going to deviate from our normal platform that we've had developed over the last several uh, months, and I'm just going to talk. Uh, I had some people that asked me to speak on local government and how it actually works. Uh, They're curious. They don't know where to go. They know that I have a little bit of experience in that. So uh, in in response to their request. Uh, That's what I'm going to do this time. I'm just going to talk a little bit about uh, local government and answer some of the more basic fundamental questions that were asked to me or provide information that people would find of interest. In many parts of the United States and as well as here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, our local government system is made up of towns and townships primarily. And this comes back from our roots in Old English. The English countryside was made up back before we became the United States. In towns, which were more uh, densely populated areas. In townships, which were more farmland and uh, horse grazing and things like that. So we adopted that in a manner from our history with England. And then we modified it to meet our needs. What I'm going to talk about today is uh, towns which we call boroughs, because they have the more rigid structure. That's what I served in as mayor of Apollo Borough. The towns that are more populated, that are chartered as boroughs or cities, operate very similarly to each other in the fact that they have distinct segments of government. In boroughs such as Apollo, we have the mayor's office, we have town council, and then we have different boards that support the town council in different uh, offices and vendors, and engineers, and things like that, that help them in guiding their, their way. And then the most important thing is that each uh, borough or town has a solicitor, which is their legal counsel, to make sure that they operate in a legal manner. The doctrine, which comes down from Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, from Harrisburg, is called the Borough Code, and it addresses every aspect of running a borough. And it's very daunting. That's why the solicitor is such a key partner to the council members. The borough code itself is broken up into many, many paragraphs and subparagraphs, and it's actually approximately 100 pages in length. Starting with the mayor uh, in Pennsylvania, it's kind of strange the way that they have the mayor set up. First of all, the mayor is listed, uh, but in the borough code, but it doesn't tell much about the mayor. And the reason for that is specific, is the mayor that holds the office for that term can make it whatever they want to some degree. They can be very laid back. They can be very involved. Uh, The mayor's position is not well defined. It is a position of honor, which means the person holding that position is called the honorable. So if it's Jack Smith, it's the honorable Jack Smith or Katie Lang. It's, you know, the honorable Katie Lang. Also, it's provided for uh, being in a position of honor that if certain criteria is met during the, the time they're holding office, they will retain some of the honor by that title and such the rest of their life, even you know, once they're out of office. And I'm not going to go into the specifics, but I, in my case, uh, I continue to hold the, the honorable title, and I'm also still... Uh, allowed to, as mayor, to perform marriage ceremonies and wed couples within the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. The mayor itself, as a position, is uh, one to, that is there to keep peace, keep order, and make sure that things are, that the people are protected within the borough. Uh, for example, uh, as mayor, I voted to break all ties of council. I also was the signing final part of creating laws, similar to what you hear with the president or the governor. I had the ability to veto action taken by council in creating a law, or I could sign it, and there's some rules about that. But uh, so that was was a couple things as far as the day-to-day business uh, that I had as mayor. The other thing, the most important thing that the mayor is, is a person to oversee the day-to-day operations of the borough's Police Department. I was uh, a supervisor. I, I talked uh, uh, weekly with the police chief. I also questioned and monitored um, the police officers and their duties if I had a problem. Uh, also, I'm an, I was an advocate for the police department. If somebody's coming down on the police unjustly or they were, uh, being, you know, they're being targeted for ridicule or such, I was there as their advocate uh, because I was part of their team. And this is a very, very important part of being mayor. As mayor, I made sure that they were properly uh, equipped. Properly, we were properly staffed within our abilities. Uh, I made recommendations to council. I helped in the hiring and firing process. I could not fire directly. I could not hire directly. I worked with council. I could suspend an officer for a breach of his duty until. I met with council, that the council would take the final vote. Uh, I also was in contact with Armstrong County's 911 Center in preparing readiness uh, in case of a time of tumultuous uh, activities within the borough. Uh, I also, uh, on one occasion, took action in modifying the emergency medical service running card whenever there's a change in our local provider. Uh, and I did that uh, directly with 911 uh, supervisor. And all they did was to make sure that what I wanted to do was uh, ethical. And then they, they did it. They didn't have to go to any other lengths. Uh, they just accepted uh, what the mayor wanted to do. And that stays like that until some mayor in the future reverses it. But uh, so the mayor is the executive branch. Uh, the mayor is supposed to uh, be seen more with the police department uh, and more with people of the borough rather than with council. Uh, there's a separation of the executive branch and the legislative branch, which is the council. Council can have anywhere up to uh, you know five, seven, nine council members it's always a lot of number and the number is relevant to the population to change the number of council members it has to go before a referendum vote and so you know as populations can rise in some areas because of an influx of uh, properties becoming available or an industry and grow, there's growth that could be put to a referendum to grow the number of council members Or in a declining economy, people moving away and there's less population, it may be more difficult to operate with so many. So they could then, uh, the borough could apply for a referendum in an election to lower it. But the the main thing about the uh, council members is some boroughs still have what they call wards. And these are voting districts. And the council people voted into office by their individual wards are responsible to answer to the people of their ward. Apollo some time ago uh, made application and was granted to do away with wards, and so therefore all the council members are voted at large, and there's only one polling place in the borough. The mayor also is voted at large at that one polling place in the, the borough, uh, but you know there are. Some instances where the boroughs may decide to invoke wards or uh, they could alter the wards based on population or whatever, but the, for the most part, uh, that's how the, the borough system works. Every other year, the council will disband and reform on right after January 1st, and they will elect their officers. It'll be, they'll elect the president of the council the vice president of the council, uh, at that time, then for the next two years, they will have their hierarchy in place. They also have, as I said earlier, they have a solicitor. The solicitor is there to intervene in all legal matters. The borough must announce all scheduled meetings so the public has a chance to attend. The way those meetings are conducted, as long as they're done fairly, uh, they have the council has the ability to make people uh, sign up in advance if they wish to speak. Uh, They can limit the speaking to, say, five minutes per subject. There's a lot of flexibility there. But the main thing is the meetings must be public and must be announced in advance. There are executive sessions which the council can invoke for more private matters such as employees, disciplinary or employee status, Uh, legal matters they have to attend to, things like that. In these private sessions called executive sessions, the borough cannot make a vote in secret. They can discuss everything. They can come up with a plan. But once they go back public, they allow the, the audience back into the council chambers. And at that point in time, they can then uh, make a uh, vote if they de- deem it as necessary as a result of the discussion in the private uh, executive session. The public is always welcome in an orderly fashion to attend the meetings. A con- council can, if they wish, limit the audience to reporters, to property owners, and residents of the borough. So people that are from areas outside the borough, if they have no business there, uh, they, you know, the Council can invoke that uh, it's it's limited to participants of the borough. I hope this helps you understand a little bit more about the way that local government works, especially in a borough setting or a town setting. A couple notes that I just think that you would find of interest before I close this out is there wasn't always a mayor's position. Before mayors under the borough code, there's an office called the Burgess. And the Burgess was the total totalitarian leader and administrator of a territory. And it typically involved a territory made up of one town and one or two townships. And the mayor's actions were similar to the combination of what the mayor is today that i kind of touched on and a magistrate they performed weddings they sent people to jail they you know they did a lot of a lot of things they had a lot of power and uh there's even in in state government there's what they called the house of burgess which was a a defined judicial uh type of environment that they ruled under the politicians did not like this, and so then about 100 years ago, they eliminated the office of Burgess. And what they did was then they instituted the office of the district magistrates on a, on a territorial basis. And they made the mayor, as I described earlier. Boroughs or towns, by definition, are a more densely populated area. And because of that, they typically have more ordinances or laws to uh, abide by for, that the neighbors can get along better because they're in such close proximity to one another. Uh, so the whole idea of having the mayor's position strictly to the borough whenever they eliminated the Burgess was to help council interact with the people of their town and and keeping the peace. Now, on the other hand, we have townships. Townships are more designed for uh, living apart, with on farms and ranches, uh, having acreage between them. They're not so densely populated, and they have and the people of townships typically had more freedoms because they weren't it wasn't as easy for them to intrude on their neighbors' rights and step on each other's toes. So typically what you found was a more refined type of uh, population in the boroughs or towns, being that they were more professional people typically, uh, they had more services available, they paid more in taxes, uh, they, you know, they were more of uh, the professional Office type worker or professional uh, business people or trades. And in the townships, they paid less taxes, they had less rules, but they didn't have the structure of government because they didn't need it because they were, you know, they were acres away from their nearest neighbor. And so they had a lot more freedoms. Townships operate under their own code. Uh, They are typically made up of, the government is typically made up of commissioners or supervisors, whichever name they chose. And there's typically an odd number, three or five supervisors or commissioners. And what they do is they share in responsibilities. So they're all on the, every committee, but then different supervisors or commissioners will head the various committees so they can focus more on it. And this is also how they administer the police department, is if there's a police issue they, the chairman of the police committee will be uh, available to help alleviate problems, but everything comes back comes back to the committee. And they make, you know, if it's something that's more private in nature, they will go into executive session. Otherwise, they will discuss openly and make their decisions openly. So now we have helped you understand the difference between a borough or town and a township and maybe this will bring some light to uh, yeah, to the subject matter if you have any questions you'd like me to get dig deeper in and get an answer for you on this subject by all means please send us an email to current at windstream.net okay, you can also find this on our Facebook page entitled Kiski Current and in the subject line put local government and I will see that that's what it's pertaining to and I will try to get those answers out to you. If it's something that's more of a private nature, then I will reply back to you in private. If it's something that I feel uh, re, you know, that everybody could benefit from, then we'll include it in a future podcast. But anyways, thank you for taking time out to listen to this episode of the Kiski Current podcast. Again, please invite your Friends to tune in and uh, check out our, our Facebook page. We're glad to have you, and we just want to grow this. It's now time for our local weather report by Logan Webb, based on data provided by the Central Western Pennsylvania Weather Bureau. And for our spring forecast for the next week, we have Logan Webb. On with us. Hi, Logan.
1: Hey, Jeff. How you doing today?
0: Okay. So what's on tap for our first full, I guess, going into our second full week of uh, of spring?
1: Well, I mean, it's going to feel like winter and it's going to feel like spring all at the same time. So uh, Tuesday, you're going to have a few clouds, 62 degrees. Nothing much to really worry about. Wednesday, I'm looking at uh, some pretty severe storms. You know, isolated tornado here and there. Uh, 71 degrees and a low of 54 degrees. Tuesday, Sorry, Thursday, it's going to be a nice, decent day. 76 degrees and a low of uh, 63 degrees. Wednesday, we're going back into severe storm mode. Uh, You're going to look at 72 degrees and a low of 52 degrees. Saturday, it's going to start to feel like winter again. You're going to have 49 degrees with a low of 46 degrees. Sunday, you're going to have body rain showers here and there. Eh, It's very isolated. Uh, 62 degrees and a low of 46 degrees. Monday, you're hitting rain again. 70 degrees and a low of 52 degrees. Sadly, Tuesday, you're going to have rain again, Uh, 75 degrees and a low of 54 degrees. So really, this week, it's going to be a really lot of rain. So uh, I'm looking for some isolated flooding. A lot of creeks and streams are going to be rising, so be sure to keep your eye on that. Um, But anyway, I think everything's going to start improving here. Uh, I know there's been a lot of brush fires lately in the area. So uh, hopefully all this rain is going to help cut that out, and maybe give us some flooding, sadly. Uh, but who knows how it can go? And uh, most of the time, it, it doesn't go the way we want it to. But I think it's, I think this week, I think I'm I'm pretty dead on on this
0: one. Okay, well, my wife is telling me that she saw some things on the computer about the National Weather Service updating their uh, different warnings, and they have they're using different terminology. Uh, do you know anything about that?
1: Yeah, so there's a there's a thunder risk. Uh, in which I don't know if you know this past Sunday uh, there was a thunder risk. Then it went to an isolated risk. Then it went to an enhanced risk, and now finally we're under the red zone, which is a high, flax moderate risk. Uh, this is the highest. Usually, this is the highest category in our area that they're ever going to use. Um, that means there's going to be tornado. There's going to be isolated tornadoes. Uh, it's going to be very hard to tell what can produce a tornado when. Um, there's going to be a lot of wind, uh, a lot of higher winds upwards of 75 mile an hour. Um, usually there's pea side tail. Uh, and, and again, sometimes it can be enhanced to golf ball side tail. Now, usually we usually don't get that, but in extreme cases like today, you're going to get that. And, uh, you know, you might even see some of that Wednesday or Friday. Uh, I mean, it's going to be bad here for a little bit for the next few weeks of weather, but, um, eventually you know, every April, you know, April showers bring me flowers. So I guess we just got to go with it and see how this is going to end. But like I said, the warnings, that's something you got to really watch. And you're really going to talk to the National Weather Service to know all of what's going to happen here. Because in a flash incident, you could be at a thunder risk. And then the next thing you know, you're going to be at a Category 5, which is the highest one you can be. And of which, like I said, that's a ball size hail. Uh, anywhere from seven to eight tornadoes possible. You can have a lot of factors that can really screw up your day. Could
0: you uh, perhaps see if you could find some good links that that will teach people about these new... uh verbiage that the national weather service is putting out maybe you can put it on our website on our webpage. page yeah,
1: yep i can probably do that and uh, i also do want to say this too national weather service provides a free training called skywarn training okay it's a four season year-round training uh they certify you for five years uh that means that you can have a ham radio which is like a weather talk radio uh and that'll certify you so that if so that you can be a uh, weather storm spotter whatever region you're in. Um, I actually just bought mine last year. So I've been doing this for about a year. Um, and I've seen a lot of tornadoes through Pennsylvania. A lot of people say that that isn't possible in Pennsylvania. Well, guess what? It, it very well is.
0: Look at Kenzoo
1: Bridge. That's all I have to
0: say. Right. Yeah. Well, then there's, you yeah, know, back in the, uh, before your time, back in the 70s and early 80s, there's uh, one that went through the Tayanesta, Cook's Forest area. Yeah. And uh, we had fallout from the tornado up there in Freeport. I know I was driving down across Freeport Bridge at the time. Whenever you know we were getting all kinds of leaves and debris on the road oh, yeah. and stuff. So, all right. Uh, anything you can put on our Facebook page at the Kiss Current on Facebook, just uh, we'd appreciate it and let it, you know learn a little bit more about this.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. I can definitely put some stuff up this week, and uh, let's just hope that uh, weather doesn't result in anything bad, bad.
0: Right. Everybody just has to kind of use common sense and watch the skies, especially if they're out fishing and things, because you don't want to be holding a carbon fiber fishing rod that's a perfect conductor whenever there's a, you know electrical storm in the area. So.
1: Yes, that's actually how a man up in Beaver County died this past year.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks a lot, Logan, and we'll talk to you Thanks. next time. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Well, that's it for this episode of the Kiske Current. A new episode is posted each Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the only podcast produced by and for the people of the Kiske Valley. The Kiske Current is made possible because of people just like you. Without your fresh submissions, we will cease to exist. Please submit your local events, local news, or stories of interest by email to kiske.current at windstream.net. We are also looking for on-air personalities to cover your hometown happenings. If you are interested, please email us with your phone number and detailed information on what you would like to do. Again, that's kiski.current at windstream.net. Thank you. Until next time, from all of us at the Kiski Current, I'm your host, Jeff Held. Be sure to check out our Facebook page by the same name for additional information on today's podcast. If you have enjoyed listening to The Kiske Current, please help spread the word by inviting friends and family who live along the banks of the Kiske River to listen in each week. Items aired on The Kiske Current podcast or posted to our associated Facebook page is the express content of Jeff Hell. No reproductions permitted without prior written consent.